Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We got another treat for y'all. I know you already know what we're going to talk about today because we got our sex and relationship expert, Will D. Silverman, back with us today. Um, just really quickly, for those of you who maybe missed our first episode, I just want to introduce Will D. again so that you all are familiar with her. So uh, we have Will Delisa Silverman. AKA Will D. She's a Dominican American sex and relationship therapist with 10 years' experience in the field. Will D is passionate about helping others live the life they deserve, particularly how to navigate their relationships and have better sex, whether alone or partnered. Uh, she believes that the most effective tool she brings into any therapy session is herself evidence-based research, humor, and authenticity. So we're definitely in for a treat today. Thank you for having me again. Yes, of course. As always, before we actually get into the topic of conversation, um, we're going to do check-ins. So, Miss Wilty, how are you doing? I'm okay. I can do better. Um, I, it's been a rough week with two sick kids. Mm. Um, I tried to like say, hey, let's go to the beach. We were right across the street. And taking two kids to the beach is the most difficult task ever. I was hauling so much shit. And when I get there, guess what? No sunblock. <laughs> so I was like, let's just stay here for a half hour. And also I was like, you know what? These kids need a tan because they look my way. <laughs> so I'm like, get a little burnt. You know, I'll take care of the afternoon. I have aloe and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was just tough. Like it looked fun. We took photos and everything. But listen, I need another set of hands to take two kids to the beach. Two sick kids to the beach. <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah. I mean. That's crazy. Um, did they at least have fun? And they get oh, yeah, they had a blast. Like, uh, the sand on them was, like, it never ended. Like, I washed their heads, like, maybe six times. And it just wouldn't come off the sand. Yeah, that's the one thing about sand. I'm like, how do you creep into crevices and corners that I do not have? Oh, like, my God. Like, where are I'm you hiding? I'm, like, just scratching and scratching. I'm like, oh, my God, the sand doesn't stop. And then this, so we all took a shower, us three. Like, <laughs> The sand off, and it was like the craziest shower. But your kids have a lot, like a good set of hair, though. You have good genes. Yeah, they have a lot of hair. They do. So, yeah, so do you. Cut this hair, man. <laughs> I'm nervous. Uh, I don't know why. So, um, full transparency. Sorry, Will D. I'm not on the depressed page with you. No, I'm no. Feeling, I'm feeling really good. <laughs> Um, I love <laughs> I'm feeling, feeling, feeling very, very good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I think I'm just gonna leave it there. Uh, and yeah. I <laughs> okay, okay. Now that I see the glow in your face, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's gonna be a, a little phone call afterwards, right? We'll be like, hold on. So why are you feeling so good? Let me like. Know the what tea. are the secrets for today? Like, what can I learn from you today? <laughs> uh, no, it's um. It's long overdue. I'm very happy. Um, and uh, yeah. How about you, Boo? How are you doing? 
I'm doing all right. I was chilling today. I've had a very lazy morning. I love lazy mornings, but sometimes it makes me feel guilty. Like, girl, you could have done so much. You could have done this. You could have done that. You could have done this. So I'm just trying to remind myself, like, it's okay to be lazy. I think I've just been needing to chill out a little bit. So I'm going to take my lazy and be okay with it. And I'll be productive later. I'm productive right now. We're recording. So (laughs) that's right. If you guys haven't heard the first episode, the first sex episode that we did with Wilsey, please go check it out. Um, We spoke a little bit about uh, common myths. We spoke about what it is to have sex and things that have affected us throughout our lives and how that affects what we're doing in sex, whether we're in relationships or not. Um, But something that we did touch upon is the idea of communication and trust. So today what we're going to be doing is, uh, as promised, we're going to be talking about consensual non-monogamous relationships because we promised that we would but before we do that we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to be in a good healthy relationship touch a little bit upon what that means for your sex life because you need certain things to have good sex so will is going to be talking about the sound house relationship theory from john gottman and uh and then we're going to go into the topic of how do you engage in poly can i say polyamorous or no well, that's the umbrella term. Okay. Much. okay. That, that's well, it's yeah, it's different because with polyamory, it's the it's saying that everyone is romantically involved or, or at least sexually involved. Everyone in that unit. I see. Um, see, and that's know, what I want to talk about a little later. What the difference between those things are. Okay. See, I'm I'm out here learning already. Yeah, I sucked at it. I'm just gonna stop talking. Give the floor to Wilby. Uh, she's gonna break down what it is to be in a good relationship and school us on how to actually engage in these things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I have achieved levels one and two of the Gottman method couples therapy. And I love John Gottman. I think he's John and Julie Gottman, his wife. They are amazing. Um, they're a sex research, they're relationship researchers. And so you have Julie, who's the, the, the therapist. And then we have John, who's a scientist. And basically their theory is, very science-based and also very practical. And I love it because it really tells you the tools of how to have a healthy relationship. So yeah, so the idea that a secure partnership is like a house with weight-bearing walls and levels that each person kind of builds upon to have a strong bond. So what I'll do is I'll discuss the the levels very briefly and kind of ways to be more mindful of how to apply that to the relationship. Other things besides the house, levels, the levels is when it comes to positive and negative like interactions or experiences, there's a specific ratio, right, to override the negative. And it's a five to one ratio. So for every negative interaction or something, you know, something negative that has happened, whether a conflict or anything negative, you need five positives to override that. You can't just say, oh, yeah, well, something messed up, something fucked up happened. And you think that just by giving a kiss, it's enough. No, there's five positives to that one. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, and a, a lot about, uh, you know, using I statements, right? So whenever you are upset or you, you're expressing a need, you start with I feel blank about blank. I need blank. So mm-hmm. it's kind of avoiding criticizing the person and focusing more so on yourself. So that way the person is more receptive to listening to you than to, you know, be on the defense. But so that's just like the general communication skills, right? Nice. Um, so the good thing about Gottman is that he takes things from a lot of different um, uh, researchers and therapists 
and kind of like makes it his own. And he gives credit to them, which is awesome. I love it because he gives you the tools that, you know, to better understand why this is the practice and why this is beneficial for a relationship to flourish and be healthy and happy. Okay, so then going to the levels, right? So you have the first floor level, the first floor. So the, fourth, the first floor is building love maps. And what that looks like is basically knowing who your partner is, like really knowing their world, like their likes, their, their dislikes, knowing the right questions to ask to get to know more about your partner. And this is the things that you learn at the beginning, right? Like, oh, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? Blah, blah, blah. And the exercise that I like to give to couples um, when they're trying to learn more about the love maps is um, it's an app called the Gottman card deck. It's super cool and it's free. And one of the, and one of the is asking is the, the learning your love maps. So for example, a question could be like, what is stressing you out right now? Who's your favorite cousin? You know, like what do you like to do to, to cope? Anything like that. And it's like, it's like a little game. Like, let's see how much you know me, you know? So it's also a game, but that's building love maps. So that's the first floor, a basic friendship skill, pretty much. Right. And then we have a second floor. The second floor is sharing fondness and admiration. You know, after the first two years of the honeymoon, everything's all good. You love your partner, blah, blah, blah. That wears off, unfortunately. It's just, it just happens. You can't be on that face forever because you'll explode, <laughs> literally. <laughs> so it's pretty much, it's learning to still protect the relationship and still have a crush on your partner, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of appreciating them. Like, so an exercise could be like, um, I'm proud of the way you blank. I like how you blank. I appreciate, appreciate you when you mm. black. So just learning how to appreciate and, and just be fond of your partner. So that's the, the second floor. Uh, the third floor is turning towards. So what that means is that it's when a partner makes like a bid for connection, whether it's something nonverbal or makes a statement, um, and you turn to that person. So for example, right? One partner is looking at the window and they're like, oh, sure, look. Look at this crackhead. The partner could either respond in three ways. He could either say, oh, shit, and walk to the window. Oh, my God, you both are sharing a laugh. That's turning towards, right? Turning away is, let's say, you're like, oh, look, look at this crackhead. And you're like, mm-hmm, still on your phone, right? Oh, that's nice. And not really like, okay, that's, you're turning away. Now, turning against could be, Oh shit, look at that crackhead. Instead of looking at that crackhead, why don't you do the dishes? Like something like completely like what the fuck? <laughs> so yeah, so there's three ways to respond. So it's turning towards. Because what I was doing by saying, oh, look at this crackhead, I'm asking, I'm trying to connect with you. Um, you know, I, I want a reaction from you. What you know, that you're listening to me, that you also care about what I'm doing or you're interested in what my, my interests are. So that's turning towards. Um, so the, an exercise, um, that I like to tell couples when just be more mindful of your responses, right? When you're, when you're, when your partner is saying something about anything, it it doesn't have to be about you. Just respond to that in a, in a nice way. Put your phone down, walk next to them to see what they're looking at, to kind of be in their shoes. Even if, if, even if at that moment, right? So just turning towards. Can we pause for a quick second? I just want to ask you, um, sorry to interrupt, but is this, so like I, I keep thinking about couples who don't know these things and I know we have like four other steps, right? But when you're giving therapy to couples, do you see that um, some people in relate, like, can you tell at this point? Because for me, what's coming up is this, you, this is work, right? And you have to be willing to do the work when you're in love with somebody. 
uh, like when you're like assessing these couples, like, can you tell like who's in love, who's not in love, who wants to commit, who doesn't want to commit? And what do you do? I don't, it's not about, I don't think it's about the love, the love, love ebbs and flows. I look at, at mm. respect and commitment. You know, that, I think that's more important than anything else. And honesty, right? It's like, you want to be honest about why you're here and, um, and the work that we're trying to do. Um, are you committed to do the work? And um, do you respect your partner? Do you want to listen to what they have to say? Are you willing to make small sacrifices? Um, the love, I, I'm, I don't, especially it's hard to tell if couples are in love when I'm not seeing them in person also. And we're doing virtual sessions. I may see like half their faces. I'm not sure if they're like touching their, their knees because the camera's like, you know, chest up. Mm-hmm. But that's hard to tell about the love. So I don't focus on the love really. But yeah, it's important to see them like if they're hugging and they're sitting next to each other because that tells a lot, you know, their body language in a session. But I guess this is more so, okay, you're in a committed relationship and this is the work that you have to do past the two years. So going, going back to turning towards, the cool, the cool thing about that is that you could start doing this now. And maybe, maybe you, you have been turned towards, it's okay. But being, the good thing about that is that you could do this now. You could just, you know, as soon as you, you, your partner makes a comment, just turn towards. So it's very practical, very, like, you could do this every single day. Right? It's not like you have to be mindful of it. Just, yeah, well, you are mindful of it, but yeah, it's, just, it's easy. So then we have the fourth floor, and that's the positive perspective. So basically, it's seeing your partner in the best light. For example, let's say my partner, before he, you know, he goes to work and he forgets to kiss me goodbye. The positive perspective is that, okay, you know what? He's in a rush. He's probably late. I give him the benefit of the doubt. He's, he's probably stressed out. The negative, the negative perspective would be, he doesn't fucking love me. How can he do this to me? Blah, blah. And I could, I could go down that, that, that road. So it's just basically seeing your partner in the, in the best lights. And then it helps a lot too when it comes to like conflict, right? You don't want to, you know, start offending them or criticizing them for, you know, or at least, you know, not attacking their character. You want to see them for who they are, for who, the person that, that you met, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially. And then, so we have the fifth floor, which is manage conflict. And I love this one. I talk about this in, in one of the videos. So when it comes to managing conflicts, conflict is inevitable. Every conflict is going to fight. I'll have couples coming in like, oh, you know, you know, I don't want to fight anymore. I mean, you're going to fight. It's going to happen. And 70% of the fights that we're having are perpetual issues, which means there's no way of solving them. It's just, a, you just have to learn how to talk about these issues. So perpetual problems could be, let's say one person is an introvert and one's an extrovert. And they're arguing about, oh, when we go to parties, I have to babysit you, or you don't want to go out. It's the same argument over and over again, but you're not going to solve it by saying, okay, but be more extroverted or be less introverted. No, that's not how it works. So how do you have that conversation so that we're not having the same one over and over again? Right. But you can resolve the conflict, right? Like, yeah, you can resolve it in a way. Maybe you could uh, find a compromise. But when you can't really resolve the deeper issue, you're learning how to just talk about it. Got it. All right. No, because I just, I was like, that sounded real grim. I was like, hold on. (laughs) I want to make sure. Like, whatever. Because, you know, like, I agree with you in terms of, like, I'm I'm an introvert. Like, I don't think that'll ever change. And I would feel more comfortable in the ways that I show up you know, like if we're going to have this conflict, is there some sort of like resolution, like a compromise or something? So, so, well, think of it, another example, money, right? My husband is more of the saver. I'm the spender. It's just, that's how it is. And for me, it was because I used to bartend. So I was getting money every single day. So if I, I spend my, oh, tomorrow I'll get more money. 
But my hustle was working, was getting paid every, every two weeks. That's the, that's the difference between every single day and every two weeks. And it's just the way we view money. He's mm. Jewish. I, I grew up with that poor mentality, like, you know, so it's completely different how we view money, but how do we solve it? We just talk about budgeting every single week. If we have to, we'll go over our finances together. We'll figure out, okay, then how can I save more? How can he spend more? So we'll figure out ways to kind of compromise. But in reality, he's not going to change how I view money. Money's money. It is what it is. So in the, in the, in the couple, you're not going to change your partner. Right. And I think a lot of people go into relationships thinking like, oh, that'll change. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it won't. They're going to remain who they are, but there has to be like Crystal said, like this, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's compromise or mm-hmm. negotiation. I don't, those words are weird to me. Um, I like negotiation more. I'm like, how much are you going to work to, not to change yourself, but to kind of meet me where, so my angst or whatever it is I'm feeling kind of like decreases. And also it, when it comes to managing conflict, it's also learning how to accept your partner's influence. So kind of saying like, okay, even if you're completely against what they're saying, at least of what they're saying, like, okay, what about what they're saying is true? Again, accepting your your partner's influence. Like, what are they saying that might be a little right? Or something that you could consider trying or whatever the case might be. Just not being in complete opposition is what I'm trying to say. And then learning how to self-soothe. I I, I did a video about that, a reel about, like, you have to learn how to self-soothe. You have to know the warning signs when you're in conflict before it starts to escalate. And the important thing is that you have to learn how to say, I need a break, and say, I'll come back at X time to talk about this. That's the part that's very important because what happens when you walk away, the person doesn't know when you're coming back. So the anxiety builds and they're thinking about their their defense. They're not doing, they're doing the opposite of relaxing. And then when you go back to it, you're coming in hot. So the whole point is to have a gentle startup because the way it starts is the way it ends. You come in hot is going to end hot. So the sixth, so the sixth and seventh floor is, um, so these are the, that's the roof basically. If you look at the image, it's a pretty cool image of the house and the, the levels. But so the sixth floor is making life dreams come true. And the seventh floor is creating shared meaning. And these kind of are linked together, which is why I'm talking about it um, together. And it's basically just sharing your partner's dreams. Like what do they want to accomplish and how can you support them? Um, having rituals of connection. So that's, you know, that's creating shared meaning. What do you guys do that, that, that's, that's unique to you? How do you separate from how do you make that dyad or triad, whatever it is, unique? And it also helps with the conflicts, right? Because you you will have conflicts where there's a gridlock, where there's no way of getting through. Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. But when that happens, it's thinking about the dream within the conflict. I figured this out with my husband, right? Like recently. We haven't traveled in forever, obviously, because COVID and the kids. And um, give, I'm leaving up to him to plan his birthday. So for his birthday, um, I've, I've taken him like to Portland, to Cape May, to Six Flags. Like we always go hard for his birthday. Well, I go hard for his birthday. Uh, so I'm like, this year you plan your birthday. And then I'm thinking, oh, she's going to plan something cool, like maybe like a resort somewhere, very awesome. And then he tells me, I want to go to Boston. And I was like, we've been there twice already. Why are we, I'm thinking, why am I going north for, for the summer? And I'm here like, I want to go to Mexico. I want to go to, you know, whatever. And then we're arguing, arguing. And then I realized, what is it to the conflict? So basically, when he grew up, not that he came from money, but he had more money than I did. His family would, they had more options to travel everywhere. And then, but then they also had traditions. So like the dad would take him to Disney, you know, or whatever. And they had their, their traditions. 
And that's what Derek likes, traditions. Like he knows that we, we've had fun in Boston the last two times we went there. So he wants to do it again. And I'm here like, oh my God, I need novelty. Because for me growing up, we only went to the R. Mm. Every single year, it was just the R for two, three months in the same town. Not even like DR, DR. No, the same fucking town. And I'm here like, no, I want to travel the world. He does too, but he's still with the tradition. Because he's like, I could go anywhere I want if I wanted to. Mm. I'm like, no, I have one chance. I want to go to Mexico. You know? So that's really where it comes from. So we could argue about where we're going forever, but if it really comes down to what the dreams are, then he could be more, accept my influence and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I can see why you want to go to Mexico. And I can see why you think Boston is boring, even though we've had a great time going there. So it helps you kind of understand. So you're not gridlocked. So you could see, so you could see past that, that argument. And every couple has those arguments where there's no solution. They just stop talking about it. And then they go out with their day and then they'll argue again about it. And no one wants to go back into it because they have that fear that you'll get back into that argument because you're going in the same way. I have a question in regards to the dream sharing. Like, could you get gridlocked in like whose dream you're going to? Uh, that was going to be my question. Yeah. Because I was like, what about when the dreams are? They're like, there's. Yeah, they're super extreme and no one's room. They're like, this is my, you, you right. want to go to Mexico and your husband wants, I love tradition. What, I want to wake up in a hotel with you. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? In like the quaint town. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm thinking like, I want to move to Italy. And he's like, the U.S. is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no. And there's no, there's no simple answer to that, right? It's really about, because remember, not remember, well, to make a, a relationship healthy and happy you are going to make sacrifices. But what makes them important is that they're mutual sacrifices and they're minor, right? Going to Italy is not a minor sacrifice. And it has to be mutual. You know, it's very hard to tell. So it's, it's really having a lot of great communication skills, learning how to have better conflict resolution skills to have these kind of arguments. Because maybe there is a way to do something of reaching a compromise, but you can't keep, you can't get creative with a compromise if you're always like under crisis. Mm. And like always feel like, oh my God, this partner doesn't share my dreams at all. But they share, they, share they share with you in other dreams and there's more like light at the end of this tunnel. Like, okay, maybe we could, we could figure something out in the future. So to wrap up the whole sound relationship theory, um, then we have the walls. So I was mentioning the levels. Now we have the walls and, you know, the walls are super important and it pretty much, you need to have those walls in order to get these levels. So it's trust and commitment. Um, you have to be committed to this, to do all the work and to know that your partner is also doing the work as well. It's not just, it's not just one partner doing it and trust. Can you trust your partner? To tell you the truth, to, to, to be that trust that you, your partner will tell you when they're pissed off, when they when they need when they have a need, can you trust that they'll be honest with you about what they're feeling, and not just build up resentment? How do you build up trust and commitment? Like, what are some things to do? I mean, I I feel like you can only build it within yourself, right? Like, your partner has to build it build that for you, and you have to build it for them. But what are some ways, I guess, to kind of help that process? I will say, and it sounds cliche, it's, again, open, being able to communicate, even if that means having, like, weekly wellness check-ins. Like, oh, hey, you know, how was the week? How are you doing? Was there anything that I missed this week? Um, was it a time that you felt appreciated? You know, so you could do more of that. Um, what could have been done, what could have done differently this week? So kind of always checking in with your partner to see what's working, what's not working, because you are two different people. You can't just assume that because this is how you're feeling. Your partner is feeling the same thing, too. 
So it's always having, having check-ins regularly. And if you find that you have a hard time communicating it, you know, then seek professional help. Couple ther- couples therapy works. <laughs> People don't know, right? Like it's, it's all these things are not being communicated to us. We're not, we're going in blind. We expect that we're going to have sex with this person for the rest of our life. And then we accept when we're like, yeah, it's not, it's not there anymore. Right. And we're missing this whole piece of how it affects our sex life. And I really do think that like if people understood this and like they were comfortable with checking in, right. Because even that checking in process, like I feel like therapists can affect it, but I can just imagine a whole bunch of people like, yo, that's mad weird. This is so awkward. It shouldn't be this hard. Like this is what comes up. Right. So I, I really just want to point out that trust and commitment and all these different floors of what it takes to be in a relationship are important to have a good sex life. Yeah, I think so too. It's also, well, look at it this way. Like it's like having a business, right? Even if the business is going well, you still want to have you know, weekly meetings to see, to talk about what, how it's going well, why it's going well and how to, how to maintain it. So you're not just having these check-ins because you're dis- distressed or you're arguing or arguing. No, you're doing it because it's working out. What do we do to keep this going? Yeah. And I think that it's also additional work for those of us who didn't get to learn this or see this uh, mirrored or an example or good role models growing up. Because I know for me, like I was actually talking to my aunt yesterday and we were talking about relationships. You know, we were talking about like what's going on? Like, why do we keep finding ourselves in these patterns? And I was like, well, no one was here to kind of like really show us that we weren't doing things the right way. Like there was no good examples, no good role models. And I was saying to her and I was like, and even though now that we're aware, it's still going to take a lot of work. It's still going to be very scary because we're going to be the first ones implementing all of these like healthier ways of being and coping and strategies. And we kind of like are working from the ground up, right? Because you know, like maybe you grew up with parents who did all of these things, maybe a little bit more naturally. For some people, it might be easier to lean in when someone bids, right? Because that's just like their nature or what they saw or growing up. But for us, it might be like, well, I don't care about, you know, whatever's happening outside in the window. Not realizing that in some way, that's almost like a rejection or like a turning away from your partner. Um, I don't think that those things necessarily correlate because you're just like, well, it's not that important. Um, So uh, I do think that it takes work. And I think like, especially if you haven't had a lot of great examples of relationships in your life, like couples counseling or couples therapy might be a really good option. It doesn't mean that you're doomed for disaster. And I don't, I don't even think that you need to wait until the relationship is bad. I think sometimes if you really want to commit, you want to make sure you get things right. It's always good to get that additional support. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's definitely important to yeah, get definitely couples therapy and even seeking out to your friends. Yeah. Not to bad, you know, not to uh, bash, you know, your, your partner, but kind of like saying, you know, these are the dem- dilemmas I'm having an issue with. How do you deal with them? And you're sharing, but you're not oversharing because no one wants to talk badly about their partner to anyone. Um, but it's about, yeah, it's like, okay, this is the dilemma I'm having. Let's say I'm about to enter a new relationship, I wish. Um, but let's say that was the case. I don't know. How can I, like, make the decision to commit? Or, like, how can I begin to, like, implement these things? Like, what are maybe, like, some things that you should know, like, going into a relationship or, like, as you're committing to a relationship that would be helpful? 
Yeah. Um, so there are some tough conversations I feel like young people, young quote unquote, should be having before they, they, they decide to commit. And well, first is being comfortable with who you are and, and, and being accepted and being able to share your wishes and your dreams. I think that's the first thing Like you, you want to have a partner you could share that with. Um, and asking each other, how do you deal with stress? Like when you're stressed out, you know, what do you do when you're stressed out? And what could I do to make yourself feel better? So it's important to know how, how to manage these, how to navigate the difficult times. You know, discussing how you want to spend time together and time apart. What does that look like? That interdependence, you know, talking about finances. And it's also how you talk about these things. I think it's very important because if it's, if it's going to be a committed relationship, some, somewhere down the line, that's going to be a huge topic, right? How do you handle money? Mm-hmm. Whether it's dates, vacations, um, when you're going out with your with you know with your friends, and if you have children, that's another obviously. And then talking about what does intimacy mean, and what are your sex expectations? Like I say, um, what does that look like to you? What are your love languages? How do you show love? How do you want love to be shown to you? Um, how often do you want to have sex? How do you define sex? And also getting an understanding, a joint understanding of what roles you guys are playing, whether it's the roles you're playing in the household with your family of origin. Um, the roles you play in your sex lives, spiritual lives. There's a, a whole list of questions you could ask, obviously. But I think those are, I guess, say the top conversations for people to have before they, they decide to commit. What's your baggage, <laughs> right? And how are you working on them? Yeah, absolutely. What's your baggage and can I carry this with you? Uh, or is it going to weigh me down? Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm clocking I like that, yeah. Yeah. So I'm listening to you speak about what it takes to be in a, a solid, rela- well, a quote unquote solid relationship. So I'm biased. I keep thinking about different kinds of relationships, right? Because we're speaking about monogamous relationships where each person is loyal and committed to the other person and there's nobody else in the that space, right? Yo, shit gets real complicated when you start adding other factors. A consensual non-monogamous relationship I can just imagine, like, maybe the meetings have to be two to three times a week. Like, what, <laughs> how do you even enter that space? Like, I, how, I, I can't fathom the idea of it because just full transparency, I would, I am so possessive. What's mine is mine. Don't touch. Uh, that's it. And I have to respect that on my end. Right. And I want to, like, I, I, I know that that comes from me too, but you know, like we're human. Um, But how does, how um, how does this work? You know, first you, of all, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say before we even go into how does this works, can we define what consensual non-monogamy is so that we're just like all on the same page, so that we all have just like a basic understanding of of what it is. So okay, so I think I made the mistake before, but um, so consensual non-monogamy is the umbrella term that describes any relationship to in which all participants explicitly agree to have multiple concurrent sexual and or romantic relationships. So it could be either or. Now, polyamory is the practice or philosophy where someone has or is open to the idea of having multiple loving partners simultaneously with the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. So pretty much in polyamorous relationships, there tends to be fewer or no restrictions on falling in love with more than one person. So when you talk about open and swinging relationships, they permit outside sexual connections, but tend to have restrictions on falling in love with people outside of the primary relationship. 
So when it comes to swinging, swinging is basically, you know, you and your partner go to a party and then you swap partners. So I'm with a guy and my husband's with a girl. Usually it could be with the same couple, you know, like that they just always hang out with, or it could be, you know, multiple, it could be whatever you want it to be, obviously. And then with openness, yeah, it's like saying, let's say me and my husband and I want to have a girlfriend and it's open, but it's more like a, like a V. And there's so many terms and oh my God, there's like so many terms, but what, what that was called is a V where it's, I'm connected to, I have two partners, but they don't, they're not connected. Right. So, so I was going to ask, yeah, I was going to ask, so polyamorous, it. yeah, so polyamorous is, we're all in this relationship together, all three of us, all four of us, whoever it is, open relationships is, you know, like I'm, I'm at the, the point of the V and I have two partners, but they're not interacting or like I can have a partner and my partner has a partner, but like, we're not all in it together. Right. Like we each mm-hmm. have like our separate relationships outside of, um, e- like outside of the relationship with each other. No. So non-consensual, so consensual non-monogamy is the umbrella term and these mm-hmm. are falling underneath. Okay. Right. So with polyamory it's kind of like the, the philosophy, the philosophy of it. Right, you could all be together. You cannot. It could be only romantic or sexual. It's whatever they want it to be, but it's just gonna be more specific because people tend to think. I don't know people have different definitions of it, right? You know, you could label it, but at the end of the day, it's whatever you want it to be. Right. I'll try to draw a chart. I'll try to draw a chart for you. There's so many shapes, right? There's so many shapes. There's triangles. There's V's. There's squares. There's Rectangles. Yeah, I didn't like oh, math. I didn't with like algebra. Nah, I'm good. I, oh, I love like algebra. algebra. I didn't like math. Like we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping yeah, up. Right. I'm keeping up. I'm just like, can we just get some clarity? And then swinging is just being open sexually, no love involved. It could be yeah, with the same people. Yeah, it could be with different equal, people. It's just sex. You're together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mostly, it's mostly for the most part. It's mostly just like a, a stick of sex. It's like a you know, you're at a party. Um, you're hanging out with another couple and, that, you know, but it's, it's everyone's presence. Um, or it could be just like the, 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 the husbands checking out the wives and getting it on. It could be whatever form, but it's like, it's every, it's like everyone's in the same room. Mm, got it. Pretty much. So, okay. This is something that came to mind when you were speaking. How often do you find that couples actually engage in consensual non-monogamous relationships? So it's becoming more and more popular and more common. Um, you know, Gen Z is the very queer. Yep. So ex- I expect to see more of this in the future. Yeah. But yeah, people are talking about it more. I, I, it's people, are, I'm following pages and I'm like, that's so beautiful, like to be married. And then also you have a girlfriend in, in the, the, you know, in the most recent post. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's becoming more and more common. People just don't know the terms of it, you know? Um, and when they start realizing that there are a lot of benefits to this. So now when it comes to polyamorous relationships or non consensual non-monogamy, it doesn't matter. Like people tend to believe that it was only like the white, upper class, liberal people with money that were doing these things. Mm. There's no there's no predictor in like race or or social status. Um, it doesn't matter. The trend here is that, that a lot of these people that are in, in these relationships are, are queer, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people are queer now, <laughs> right? So I think it's becoming more and more common now. So this is why I've become more interested in learning about this because I see more in my practice. 
can you define queer for us just so that we're all on the same page because i feel like a lot of people won't you know like they like these terms are it's a lot and it's new so for some people and some people get it more than others for me everyone defines it differently for me it's being it's just being somewhere in the spectrum it, it could be anywhere in the spectrum because i could be in, in this place now and then tomorrow I could be somewhere else i just i just i'm i don't know i like i hate the, the word normal so I, lo- I love queer i embrace queer yeah i'm fucking queer i don't have to explain what that means to you just because i'm married you know just like a woman i don't know for me queer is just not being kind of pigeonholed and okay this is how i'm supposed to look and this is who i'm supposed to like right I it just like kind of breaks married. out yeah, it just breaks yeah, out of the traditional, mad. like, heterosexual men, heterosexual women, like, wherever mm-hmm. else you fall in that spectrum, yeah, that you're queer, right? Like, they, and it doesn't necessarily even mean that you, like, you could be queer and still, like, be a woman that's into men, you know? Like, so, like, there's, it, it just, it really runs the gamut. So there's, like, no one definition. It's just whenever you fall outside of that binary of, like, cisgendered heterosexual man or woman and it's what it's how you identify not what you practice because mm-hmm. i'm right at this moment now i am in a monogamous relationship with a heterosexual man and i'm here saying um oh, you know i'm a demigirl i'm uh, you know i'm pansexual that doesn't mean that i have to be with the girl to say okay i, I could call myself a queer no i guess now that we're opening we're talking about open relationships like how do you have these conversations like what can make for the most successful transition into this type of relationship because I think for me if my significant other were to be like I want to open up this relationship or I want to be polyamorous I'm gonna have a lot of feelings about it um I don't know how I would take it um I feel like I would I would not be okay how can we, how can people introduce this concept in their relationships? Um, just how do we do that? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. So I think first is having a meta conversation about it. So when you have that conversation, you're not making any decisions. You're just talking about it. Just like you're just being able to just freely talk about, you know, your needs and what and, and your wants. Not that you're going to, you know, meet these, but these are what I'm thinking about. It, the timing really matters here right because if you're if you're having a hard time with your if with your partner with a significant other and you're not having you know it's not working out or there's been a, a sense of disconnect and sense of passion novelty and you're like oh hey by the way i'm thinking about opening a relationship it's not gonna go well because like, like you said right right away you're gonna be like okay there's something wrong with me she's gonna end she's gonna leave me or if i don't say yes they're gonna cheat on me so the, the timing really does matter so I would say meta conversation. Just talk about the idea of it. What is poly? You know, what is non-concession non-monogamy? Um, what are the benefits of it? If that was to be something that you're going to pursue in the future, just learning more about it. Be very well educated on what it is and what it's not before you present it to your partner. Um, praise your partner. Say you know if, if so. Let's say the relationship is going well, and you're like you know what we're, we're doing great. How can we enhance this relationship more? And that's when you praise your partner. This is, you know, I love this. I love you and we great and all the positive things to let them know I'm not trying to substitute you or replace you. I'm trying to make this better for the both of us. And because the whole goal is you want to let them see that it, it benefits them too. It's not just you benefiting and then they're just kind of like, suck, you know, they have to deal with it. 
it, it benefits everyone in the relationship. I talk about a lot about communication, but if you are thinking about being in a non uh, in a consensual non monogamy relationship, you have to be like the master communicators. Like you have to like come in there already, like with your communication toolkit, because you're going to deal with a lot of difficult emotions, insecurity and jealousy. Those are huge, right? And people tend to think that people in non in in these relationships are. They don't feel jealousy. No, they, they, they do feel jealousy. They just know how to navigate it. They know that it's jealousy is an emotion just like any other. Which goes back to those walls, right? Trust and commitment. Like it's the, when you don't have that, that's what manifests insecurities yes. and jealousy. Yeah, not having that safety net, right? That if I tell them, if I tell my partner, this is how I'm feeling, or I'm trying to, you know, this is what I need. Can I trust that they're not gonna, you know, judge me and they're, so they're gonna still de- be there for me, you know? And that's tough to like be in a relationship where you don't feel like your true self, you know? Yeah, I'm panicking and I'm not even in a relationship. I'm like, yo, like if this conversation yo, comes at me, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Actually, no, Wilby, you just triggered me because yeah, I know what that feels like to be in a, a, a quote unquote, I don't know if it was monogamous on his end, a monogamous relationship. Um, where you're not feeling seen or you're not feeling like you could be yourself. Like you're uncomfortable just even being in the presence of the person that you think you love. Yo, mm-hmm. that's, this is, this is deep. There's so many levels to this. Um, yeah, yeah I feel like this is very 101 yeah. combo right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are a lot of benefits to, to these relationships. Um, you know, more people, there's more people to meet your needs. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Esther Perel, and she talks about how one person can't meet all your needs. They just Absolutely. can't. Like, you know, we want security, but we want risk. You know, we want predictability, but we want to be surprised. You know, that's tough to, to get from one person. So, you know, in these um, in, in consensual non-monogamy relationships, you, there's more people to meet these needs. You know, and there's more sex. And you know, more sex, you're a happy person. <laughs> I've also been told that, because uh, I know somebody who, who has practiced um, polyamory from the, based off the definitions you gave. She said that when she was in different relationships with different people, she actually felt more connected to other partners because of the fact that she was having a relationship outside. How does that end? Excuse my my simple mindedness, but how does that work? <laughs> well, imagine this, right? Okay, so imagine you just you come home from a date with your second your secondary partner, right? You're in a good mood. You come home, you're gonna be in a good mood for your partner. Hmm. Like you know, you're not stressed out. You know, there's so many ways to see it, right? But um, but again, the the partner that's there's always one partner that wants it more than the other, usually. And the person, mm-hmm. the, the partner that doesn't want it as much, um, they'll they, they can start seeing benefits to it, right? Because you're in a better mood, you're less stressed, you're more you're more receptive to them, more attentive to them, and not because it's coming out of guilt, like okay, I hung out with my secondary partner, and I'm, uh, now I have to like you know kiss kiss ass or whatever just to make up for it. That's, that's not the mentality you're having. You just you you're, when you feel loved, you give more love. Mm-hmm. 
I did have a question about like, what does this look like in couples counseling, right? Like, let's say a couple is coming to you about um, engaging in this type of relationship. What are some of the things that you talk about? What are some tools? Like, what is the working through? Um, I could see jealousy, just feeling um, insecure. Um, I'm thinking just attachment, right? Because I'm someone who has anxious attachment. Just what are maybe some of the things that you discuss or what does some of the working through um, look like in, in counseling? Well, it's, it's working through through um, feelings of insecurity and, and jealousy and learning how to navigate those feelings, you know, and again, learning more about the benefits of, of these relationships, you know, in, in a consensual non-monogamy relationship, there's no deception of cheating. Mm-hmm. And you have that in monogamous relationships. How many times do people cheat in monogamous relationships? There's higher risks of STIs. Oh, shit. You know, because you're not going to get tested if you are cheating. And because and also when you cheat, it's more impulsive. So when you do something impulsive, you're not practicing safe sex. Mm. So when you start talking about these, these the positives of, of, you know, these relationships and seeing how they could work just as well as a, a monogamous relationships. It's, it's similar issues to, to, um, to a monogamous relationship, right? It's learning how to have having better communication skills, how to be able to express your need in a positive way. You know, I need this from you as opposed to, you know, criticizing or contempt or building resentment or even dealing with, like, did you really mean that yes when you wanted to be in this relationship when you agreed? Or were you doing it for other reasons mm-hmm. because of the, the fear of losing your partner or the fear of them cheating? And really thinking about what it is that you need. And sometimes people just need a threesome <laughs> and not really opening up a relationship. Maybe that's the thrill they're looking for. And now having another partner in there because it is a lot of work. And if you cannot do the work in your primary relationship, don't think about it's going to be easier when you have to add another person to the mix because it gets complicated. Imagine having two people that are complaining about you. That's tough. <laughs> like, where and do chances, I go here? <laughs> and chances are they're probably going to be complaining about the same things eventually. I like that you spoke about self-soothing. Um, but I, how does it look to soothe your partner when you're in these kinds of relationships. How does that work? Because it's, for me, it's, 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 it's just, it gets very, you know what it is? I, I just realized I can't box it in my mind. So it gets very confusing. So when I say self-soothing, it's to, it's to challenge. So I, I didn't mention this before, but when it comes to managing conflict, according to John Gottman, there's four ways of communicating that could end to like the end of, that could be the end of a relationship. So it's, um, yes. So it's contempt, um, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Mm. So stonewalling, um, that's when during, during an argument or whatever, you know, you just shut down completely. Like you're like a wall. Nothing is getting through to you. You emotionally detach. You're low key fucking going crazy. Right. So it's good to, when that happens, I, I notice that too. My husband notices when I start like stonewalling, I'm a stonewaller which is in, in relationships is usually the men that stonewall. I'm a stonewaller here. So he notices when I'm stonewalling because I, I'm not, there's no eye contact. I'm looking at something else and he sees me breathing very like hard. That's his, that's his cue. Okay, Wildy is shutting down. She is going to either say something very nasty afterwards or she won't say a word for like the next half hour. So he'll tell me, it took us some practice 
Because I'd be like, I'm not stonewalling. He would say, you're stonewalling. Don't tell me I'm stonewalling. Like, don't use these terms. I'm teaching you. Right? <laughs> so he would say, and that would really piss me off. I'm like, you don't know Gottman like I do. Um, so he'll say, so he'll say, hey, listen, do you want to take a break? And he's, he'll be the one to offer the break. And I'm like, oh, yes. Can we, can we come back to this after we put the kids to sleep or after we shower or after we eat? Okay, cool. And then, you know, we're back into it, um, you know, in a much calmer state because at that moment when we're taking this break, we're not thinking about the arguments. We're literally trying to relax. So, you, again, again, you go back into their, you know, gentle startup and, it, you know, it, it, it makes it more likely to have a, a, a resolution. And I think part of self-soothing is even when you start to notice those things in yourself, like let's say, you know, like, because I know for me, when my emotions start to build up, my breathing gets very staggered. Um, mm -hmm. I avoid eye contact. The words escape me. I'm like, uh, 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 you know, like even if, you know, self-soothing in a relationship could be like, okay, like I'm starting to like, can we take a break? Or saying I'm having a lot of anxiety. Can we set some time aside? So I think self-soothing sometimes can be just even advocacy for yourself um, in these relationships. Yeah, it doesn't mean, yeah, like it doesn't always mean like, okay, like go meditate and go hug yourself. And, you know, just to be clear, sometimes self-soothing is asking like for what you need. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. So something that you mentioned um, that did answer my question, uh, but you stated how your husband knows you enough to see that you're stonewalling, right? Um, yes. I think that that's, that's what I was referring to. Like, and, and I kind of got the answer on my own. You really have to take the time to know your partner and see what mm -hmm. it is that frustrates them uh, because, yes. or what gets them into that mood. Because if you don't, then you're just going to be like, no, nah, they said I was good. They said they were good with this. And like your whole part, your partner's like, oh, D mad at you. And you're like, I don't I know. I don't know where this is coming from. Right. Yeah. So going back to building love maps, the first level. I was just about to say, that's yeah. level one. Right? <laughs> knowing how does your partner act when they're stressed out? What are the warning signs? Because, yeah, you, you obviously you should know your own warning signs, your own triggers, your own coping skills. But to have a partner that knows you. Oh my God. Thank you. Like, yeah, I do need a fucking break. <laughs> thank you. We'll, we'll resume later. <laughs> and you're more likely to lean into that person once they see you. Yes. Yeah. And therefore build more trust and commitment. Look at that. There you go. There you go. See, it's a, such a cool like, theory, this house, um, because it's true. And again, that could apply to any relationship. It doesn't have to be a monogamous one. That was actually my next question. How does it apply to um, non-monogamous relationships? Does it look a little different or do you feel it's basically the same thing? Oh, one thing is that, let's say, for example, a couple is saying, okay, no, we, we're going to open this relationship, but uh, it should be only sexual relationships, nothing emotional. And yeah, it sounds fun in theory. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to bang one out with the random and blah, blah. But then what happens if you repeat, like, you know, when we have sex, we release, you know, the love bonding hormone, oxytocin. And what happens if you have sex with that person more than once, you're going to bond with them. So you're going to develop an emotional connection. And that's something that you have to think about when you're agreeing to this relationship, that you have to learn how to navigate that that could be a possibility. And what do you do about it? So you always have to renegotiate, discuss. <laughs> the boundaries, you know, and you have to really be in it to know you don't like being a parent. So you can read manuals, but you're going to be, you have to be, you have to learn like, you know, school of hard knocks. You have to like really be in it to say, okay, you know, this is an issue that we have to learn how to, how to deal, how to navigate. 
So what happens if a partner is like completely opposed to to the idea, right? Because I I think like as I'm hearing you speak, I don't necessarily think that um, consensual non-monogamy is a bad thing. I just feel like there's a lot of work that I would need to do for myself, like internally before I even have the capacity to like entertain this with someone else. So like for me, I'm thinking like, okay, like I have a lot of work to do because even as you're speaking like I'm not even in a relationship and I'm already being feeling a little bit triggered just thinking about all of those things for for myself and then you talk about I have to build all of these things with this one primary partner right like you want to make sure you have a sound relationship with a sturdy foundation and things like that and then you want to open it up so I feel like there's like levels does it end up ever being like something where people kind of work through all of these things together in one people pause to do it step by step like work on the self work on the relationship then work on opening it up or do relationships sometimes end because like a partner maybe isn't open to the idea can't deal with it sadly it could end if there's not um a good discussion about it or the ideas going into it, if you're like saying, no, I want to do it and that's it, the relationship is over. But no, you know, it, it could end, unfortunately, but if you are willing to make the commitment to make the relationship work, but still trying to value your partner, and let's say it's, it's your partner's way of like, because some people say that it's, it's an orientation, this, 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 these relationships, right? It could be philosophy, it could be a lifestyle, it could be an orientation, um, so example, someone like me, let's say in a monogamous relationship with someone that's heterosexual in a, in a heterosexual relationship, and how, how do I navigate that? Like, is he going to let, allow me to, to explore those feelings or am I going to say, you know what, he's not, gonna, he's not going to, am I okay with just not being able to, you have to ask yourself to, am I willing to be okay with knowing that I'm not allowed to explore my, you know, my, or my sexual orientation? or be with another woman or something. So it's it's a very difficult conversation, but it, and it's not about you having to say yes, or it's not convincing a person to say yes, because you don't want to be in one when a person reluctantly say yes either. That's a bad recipe. So it's, it's, it's doing the work, it's going to a couple therapist, uh, someone that's very affirming, that knows about polyamorous relationships and is into kink and is in, open to like complex relationships before saying, you know what, I'm throwing in the towel, this is not working. You said something that was really interesting, and I think that all the information you're giving is interesting um, for the f- same reasons that I I think people just don't know enough, and then they just kind of jump, and they're like, ooh, it's too much. It's like they really hurt themselves. Um, but you said, sadly, when you talked about the relationship ending, what kept coming to mind for me was, yes, it sucks when relationships end, but if this is something you really want, you have to give the opportunity and like take the risk of, okay, the relationship needs to end because I need to have someone that meets my needs and everybody I think deserves that. Yes. I I, a hundred percent. It's so sexy to know that you are fully accepted by, by your partner or by anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else, any other like tips, things that we should know, um, just expectations that people should have, like, about um, these relationships that maybe we haven't touched upon already? Or maybe like advice that you would give people who are actually really thinking and and engaging in in a very healthy way in in polyamorous or consensual non-monogamous relationships? I would say do the research 
know why you want to do it in the first place. Um, if you're trying to do it as a way to enhance the relationship, awesome, go ahead, do it. But if you're looking at a way to substitute because you're not meeting your needs from your primary partner, you're like, you know what, maybe I'll meet it somewhere else, then it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. Um, so again, it's something to, cons- to really, really consider. You might try it and say, you know what, this doesn't work for us. Let's go back to closing up the relationship. You could do that too. You could always go back. There's no, there's no like, okay, if you try it, let's say the relationship is over. And, and if that did some sort of damage to the relationship, just trying it once, seek the help for it, right? Don't just say, okay, well, never going to happen and, and have all these lingering feelings just fester, you know, just because you can get over that one time that you were okay with your partner seeing someone else. You can always go back to it or, or re, re, renegotiate the boundaries. Is it, are, you strict, are you sticking to just, you know, swinging or maybe just on, when, you're on, when you're on vacation only? There's ways to, to renegotiate what works for the both of you. There's no one size fits all when it comes to non-monog- um, consensual non-monogamy. I say I fuck it up too. We need a better way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, what I, you know, so interesting, um, something I just thought about. When you engage in any relationships, there, there are risks, right? But they feel less threatening because this is quote unquote normal. That's what everybody engages in, right? But I feel like when you're in a consensual non-monogamous relationship, it, those risks almost get heightened. Well, think about this. When you first meet someone, there's a risk there that they might leave you or they don't want to pursue anything with you. There's that risk there. And it's a fun risk because that's what makes it fun. They might leave me, right? But sometimes, when we're, but for example, it's not sexy to, to say my partner will never cheat on me. Yeah, it sounds nice, but a little boring like to say, I got this. I can do whatever, whatever the fuck I want with it because I know he'll never leave me. It's nice to have a little... It's like to be a little scared, like he might leave me if I don't, you know, you know, try at this. You want to know that your partner can leave you, <laughs> I guess, because it makes you not so comfortable. Like it makes you want to do the work. Pretty much, you, yeah, the whole thing is that you want to, it, every relationship is a risk. A little risk is fun. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for like sticking on. I know I learned a lot. I also feel like I have so much journaling and so much much that I need to work through. I'm like, oh my gosh, triggered, triggered. We probably should have put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Uh, But thank you so much, Wildy, for sharing, you know, your expertise and just so much knowledge. I feel like there's there seems to be a lot about consensual non-monogamy and healthy relationships. I think we kind of touched the 101. I want to make sure that people know where they can find you so they can get maybe a little bit more in-depth information. So where can people reach you? Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at lovesexwithwildy. Wildy is W-I-L-D-Y. Awesome. So thank you so much for this conversation. Make sure to follow us at Never Told This Pod on Instagram. Or if you want to connect a little bit more intimately, definitely send us an email at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.